You are listening to the Advanced Leadership Podcast from the South Carolina Baptist Convention. Now, here's your host, Lee Clamp. Welcome to another edition of the Advanced Leadership Podcast. Today, we have a special guest with us, good friend, Aunt Frederick, serves as the lead pastor and planter of Midtown Two Notch, very unique uh, church context uh, that we'll kind of unpack the story of here today. But before we do that, Aunt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, man. Glad glad to be here. Glad to share and talk about leadership and kind of what we've seen the Lord doing. Yeah. Now, now you're kind of a renaissance man. We talked a little bit before about, <laughs> right, right. about you know, you did the athletic thing in, in, right. in high school. You went to the University of South Carolina, Absolutely. Gamecock. Absolutely. Uh, but here in recent days, you've picked up a new hobby. What, what are you doing, man? Uh, yeah, I'm learning to play uh, the piano. I have no music ability, but for some reason, I like it. I enjoy it. Uh, it gives me something to work on and put a plan together to grow in. So I love it. It's been fun. Now, you're beyond chopsticks. I mean, can you do the chopsticks thing yet? I mean, what what, what are we working I'm, on here? I'm playing, I'm playing chords now. So I got a musical family. So I literally everyone in my uh, family um, is musically talented except me. So all of them play instruments or sing in the praise team or whatever, except for me. Uh, so uh, I'm learning stuff from them. They're telling me stuff. So I'm playing chords like three or four notes at a time now. Uh, learn to do it with, with with both hands. I've been playing for I don't know three four months now. I uh, love it. So I'm not great, but I'm getting better. I love it. Well, listen, man. I I know you're Gamecock, but I'm kind of I'm, I'm, I'm kind of struck by your hat today, man. You got a Jacksonville Jaguars hat, which means that you are on the bandwagon now that these Clemson guys have come and dominated with Trevor Lawrence down there and ETN. Listen, I'm glad to see that you finally are getting listen. into the game of Clemson Tiger football as we. Taking over the NFL. Let me tell you something about being a Gamecock fan. There is no more loyal type of fan than someone who's been a, a Jaguars fan as long as I have. There's <laughs> there's no more loyal fan. Like my friends tell me all the time, I know you're a loyal person because you've been a Jags fan for 15 years and y'all are never any good. So, uh, yeah, ETN just got hurt, but uh, uh, yeah, I'm excited about Trevor Lawrence, man. I'm excited. So did you receive Trevor Lawrence into your team? 100%. 100%. 100%. All right, let's do this I think he's going to help us win. I don't care where he's from. Let's do this 100%. I love it. Well, listen, man, let's let's hear a little bit about your story first, Uh, just kind of where you got your start in ministry and then then how you progressed to think about um, this area of Columbia. Yeah. So I first started leading in ministry consistently when I was in college, Uh, back at at USC when – uh, Campus Crusade for Christ was was a very big ministry at the time when I was at the school, and I got involved a little bit. And then the leadership there pretty quickly, I think, identified me as a leader and challenged me to, to lead a ministry that was going to target African-American students on on campus. I mean, at that time, Campus Crusade for Christ probably had 550 students, and maybe five of them were black. And they, 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 they came to the conclusion, if we started a different ministry that targeted black students— um, that they thought it would be more effective. And so I ended up leading that my junior and senior year. Uh, and it, and the Lord blessed it in a lot of ways. We saw quite a few students come to Christ. We saw students learn what, what it was like to to live out the, the implications of the gospel in every aspect of their lives, students being on mission for the first time in their lives. And that was a, a big turning point for me as I started thinking more and more about what might that look like on the local church level, right? You can't, I mean, after the students were, were graduating, um, 
I, I felt a, a sense and a, and a calling from the Lord to uh, be able to lead a ministry that was able to impact uh, and and serve people very well beyond just the college fear uh, or whatever. And at the same time, I, God started breaking my heart really for impoverished communities um, that this community that was suffered and just riddled with, especially generational poverty. Uh, long story short, I was actually riding to work one day. I remember it was very cold uh, and the heat in my car was not working. I was working as a personal trainer at that time. And I was listening to a song by Lecrae. Um, this was, uh, man, 2008, 2009. And he had a song about doing ministry in impoverished communities, what he called the projects. And he actually said, somebody please plant a church in these projects. And I didn't even know what church planting was before I heard that phrase. Like I didn't, I didn't even know that was a thing. That's something that, that people did. Uh, but the Lord really started breaking my heart. Like I started weeping as I was listening to the just the picture that He was painting and that 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 call and that charge. Uh, and really, ever since then, um, God has grown my my heart, my desire, uh, the passion in me to lead a group of people, lead a church to make disciples uh, in impoverished communities, especially severely impoverished communities right here in Columbia. Wow. So uh, Midtown, two-notch verse. And uh, what's incredible about that is that a lot of times people will shy away from impoverished communities because you plant a church there. Uh, and you might not be able to be self-sustaining. Right, right. So this this new model of thinking where um, uh, where a church has a family of churches like Midtown right. does, to where you you know you can either be bivocational and work in that context, or you can have a church that cares about multiplication mm-hmm. and cares about all types of people. Mm-hmm. And we think about every life in South Carolina. You know it, that means not just every. Uh, every gender, every race that mm-hmm. that also means every socioeconomic exactly. group, and uh, and if we aren't intentional about going to them, planting ourselves there, uh, not looking for even self sustainability as a church to be able to fund right. a pastor, fund a building, whatever, right. um, then we can actually get after that ministry, and that's what you guys have done there, and um, and it's you know it's pretty exciting to see you know some of the ministry that you've been able to do. Um, talk a little bit about like. Pre-COVID, whenever you guys were, you know, I I asked like about your worship service, and it was almost like which one, right, and right. you had this corporate worship service on Sunday morning, but you also had a worship service in the streets, right, where you just went prayer walking and talking, yeah. and those relationships on a consistent basis. Uh, tell me what that looked like. What was that rhythm? Yeah, so tr- building trust is such a huge thing in the type of communities that in the communities that we're serving, and so. One of the things that we've always wanted to do is be a consistent relational presence in the communities that we were serving. Um, but at the same time, the housing market that was in those communities, it was just it's difficult for uh, someone like me who has a family with four kids to be able to find a home in these impoverished communities where we can host people and, and, and all those things. So we the prayer walk ministry was one of the things that we did to keep our leaders, our members in close relationship with the community and actually serving the community, understanding the needs of the community. So what we would do is uh, after the worship service was over with our prayer walk team, which depending on Sunday, it might've been five people, might've been 15, 16, 17 people. We would kind of get together, huddle up. We would pray. We would organize and disperse people to, to, to walk down certain streets uh, in, in teams of about three, usually teams of three. And we knock on people's doors in the neighborhood and just ask, how can we pray for you? And or if we just saw people hanging out on the porch, which was is very often the case in, in the neighborhood we were serving the most at that time. 
Uh, we would just say, hey, we're from the church right here. Is there any way we can be praying for you? And we even came, had these T-shirts that just said, how can I pray for you? Just to make sure everyone knows we're the church coming around praying for people in the community. And we started building some incredibly deep relationships and were able to have some awesome conversations about Jesus because they know we're from a church. They know what we're doing is, is spiritual in nature. And then when people start sharing, it just opens the door very quickly. So we were able to build some incredible relationships. And oftentimes in those 15, 30 minutes, sometimes 45 minute <laughs> times that we're spending praying for people, sharing Christ with people just on their front porches. I mean, we're you're talking sometimes 30 people, 35 people on a Sunday morning, I mean, on Sunday afternoon after our worship service that we're engaging with the gospel of Jesus. And we're not saying you got to come to our turf. We're coming to your turf. You you might not be comfortable coming to, to our turf and doing our worship service thing, but we're bringing Jesus. We're bringing the community of the family of God to you. And it came to the point that the relationships became so genuine and real that oftentimes people, I tell the story all the time, people will get upset if I'm walking down the street and I skip their house. Like they would say things like, say things to me like, oh, so I guess you don't see me right here on the porch. Now you're going to them, but I guess you don't even see me right here, which, you know, is a little bit frustrating, but also it's like these relationships mean something to them. Yeah. Like these these porch conversations where we're praying for them, we're talking about difficult things in their life and we're encouraging them with the word of God. We're encouraging them to follow Jesus and trust Jesus are having a huge impact on them and they they sense their need for the family of God to be there for them. Um, so that's, that's when, I, when you talk about talk to me about how many people we engage in a worship service on Sunday, I'm counting the Sunday worship service that we do in the building, and I'm also counting the, the 25, 30-plus people that we're engaging at their homes on their front porches on a Sunday as well. I tell you, you know, um, the what that guy told you uh, about you checking on him. Yeah. What did he say to you? Yeah, he, he told me, he said, man, at that time when, when you guys were coming every week praying for me, he said, y'all were the only people on this planet that were consistently checking on me. He said, I had no one else checking in on me except you guys. And you guys were here every single week checking on me, praying for me, praying for my mom, checking on my mom. She was in the hospital. He said, y'all were the only ones doing that. Wow. Wow. So when we think about shifting from this uh, church-centric model where it's just about getting people to come to a building, just getting people to come to a worship service, that, that's the end game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the end game is really life. The end game is really uh, development. Right. The, the right. end game is really making disciples, right? right, and development. And so when we think that, when we think through that, um, you know, you're developing people on a, on a weekly basis in, in the community. And whether they come back to the worship service or not, if you're making them disciples, if they right. cross over from death to life— right. Uh, if they're even involved in the ministry work that you continue to do in prayer walking, uh, you're developing them to be uh, Jesus followers mm-hmm. and leaders who influence others. Mm-hmm. You know, so when we think about this idea of leadership, leadership is really just development of people to try to help them influence others better. Right. How how, how have you seen uh, your work when it comes to developing people? Maybe that other people have written off. Mm-hmm. Maybe that other people think, you know what, they're they're not going to amount to anything, so I'm not going to invest my time in them. Right. Um, I just like the idea that 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 Jesus ended up going after some ordinary dudes, right? And he right. developed them in, in into a movement shaking leadership yeah. team, right? Yeah. So unpack that for me. I mean, yeah. you know, you you've you've been able to develop some of these guys, and what have you what have you come in contact with? Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like at the beginning it starts with. You got to trust the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work in someone's life to do something that their their current trajectory doesn't have them on, <laughs> doesn't have them there. And just know that God is powerful enough to do that. And so uh, one particular guy, I love this story, uh, met him in college, 
Um, he was, I think, probably 18 years old when we met him, didn't love Jesus, ended up at a Bible study he was attending because he was giving free pizza out and ended up placing faith in Jesus. We were able to baptize him, celebrated that uh, tremendously. And he, his upbringing was very, very difficult. And you could see some of the effects of that even when we met him at Benedict and uh, didn't have what many of us, I think, would just refer to as as necessary life skills, like being able to take care of yourself, like didn't have a lot of those those skills, I would say. Um, and so we did we did a lot of things. I mean, we invited him to serve uh, in a variety of ways in, in our church and in, in our church, because when, when you have people that you want to be leaders, but currently don't have skills to take care of themselves, you, you, you want them to be a leader. So you but you start with very potentially what we might call basic things for them to do. So give them a, a responsibility. We used to throw uh, cookouts in the neighborhood all the time and invite anyone from the neighborhood who wanted to come and have a meal with us. Um, and so he had a role there. He At one point, he was the cleanup guy. And after all the cookouts, nobody wanted to clean up. All right, you're the cleanup guy, and you're responsible for these specific things. And then you have a follow-up meeting with him afterwards that's like, all right, what went well, what didn't go well? And you continue that that process, and then he begins to develop skills of, of or develops consistency and being faithful, being responsible, being accountable for his actions and those types of things. And also getting him connected with other um, husbands and, and fathers who who do have a lot of the skills that we wanted him to develop. Uh, ended up making him a, an apprentice on our communications team, which I think was helpful for him. Long story short, uh, now this brother uh, has a 40 hour week job with benefits. He just bought his first car. He is setting, he's able to set financial goals and accomplish them for the first time ever in his life. He's now leading one of our small groups and hearing the people in this small group talk about his leadership. It's just, it's so encouraging because I remember back in 2012 when it's like, I can't trust you to do anything. Like I can't trust you to do anything we ask you to do. I can't trust you to be on time. I can't. I can't trust you to go talk to that person that we're saying you need to talk to and engage. I can't trust you to do anything. But now it's like we trust you with leading this small group of people to be what we call a Jesus-centered family on mission together, and they are telling me about how blessed they are to have you as their leader. And it took an extended period of time, but we saw God. We've seen God at work so much in this brother's life, and a lot of it, I believe, was seeing serving opportunities in our church for him to volunteer as opportunities for him to both serve and grow in the in the necessary skills that we knew he would need to be able to be a, a functioning and effective leader in our church. Yeah, you know, leadership development takes uh, energy, effort. A it's lot. work. It's just hard it's work. It's a lot, man. It's long-term hard work. And a lot of people that that um, that, that want to do leadership development just from the stage, they want to do it just oh, from a, a training session, maybe once a year to try to get their small group leaders, and and they're just going to do a two-hour training session. Yeah, uh, Leadership development is a grind, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it comes with great triumph, and sometimes it comes with disappointment, right? Yeah. Uh, you kind of cling to those stories of triumph, like this this young man who has a leader. Uh, but there's also probably been some times where it's been been difficult. What are some yeah. of those times? Yeah, leadership development is has been such a priority for us, and I, I do cling to those stories that uh, that you see everything you want to see happen. Because if not, I'll be discouraged by the times that it doesn't turn out mm-hmm. the way that you wanted to. So, uh, there's another brother that I met. I mean, this, and this was maybe the first friend that I developed, uh, kind of in that Pinehurst neighborhood where we were first uh, doing ministry, and he he was saying he wanted to to, to be able to get a job, and so ended up going to the library with him. And so, yeah, let's work on, let's work on your resume. 
come to find out, he didn't even know how to use a mouse on the on the the computers that oh, were there because yeah. um, he said someone had, had been working with them before and emailed him his resume, but he needed it to be updated. But he couldn't, I mean, he couldn't go to Google. He couldn't use the mouse or anything, which was just opened my eyes to, okay, where, what the starting point is here. Uh, but uh, long story short, we, myself, a lot of other members of our, ch- of our church went out of our way many, many times to help this brother out. And he ended up not being consistently around. He At first he was for maybe, I don't know, six months, nine months. And then after that, he was just kind of coming around when he really needed something, calling us when there's an emergency situation and he needs, you know, light bill paid or whatever it is. And so it was just, it's difficult when you pour so much time and energy and love into trying to uh, help someone, but they have these these things in their life in their life that they're not willing to let go of that keep holding them back. And so, you know, you try not to let those times uh, discourage you because you know, like I said earlier, the Holy Spirit can continue to do work. The Holy Spirit can still do work in this guy's life and continue to help him accomplish a lot of the goals that we were trying to help him accomplish. So you never give up um, on somebody, but at the same time, yeah, there's a you know. To be realistic, there's a lot of times where it doesn't pan out the way you want it to. You know, Martin Luther King, I think, was quoted with, with um, you know, when people say, you know, just just let people pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Mm. I'm one of those guys, right? Right. And Martin Luther King says, uh, well, you know, that works if you got boots. <laughs> right. And I, I, think that, I think that what we um, take for granted, especially if we come from a context where we had mom and dad there, if we come mm-hmm. from a context where we had... Uh, some privilege where we had some affluence, where we mm-hmm. had uh, maybe a computer or we, you know, right. had access to some of that right. stuff. Right. Um, we just forget about some soft skills that um, that especially those who are at risk um, yeah. just just don't have. And yeah. so when you say to somebody, well, just go get a job. Well, to get a job, you got to, you know, be online to file a resume. I right. Mean, most of the time, if I go to a place to try to get a job, they'll say, all right, fill out the application mm-hmm. uh, online. And I'm like, well, where am I supposed to go? All right, go to the library. Right. Right, how do I even turn the computer on? How do right. I use a mouse? How do I use Google? And many times we 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 just take those types of things for granted in developing people. And so in, in developing those, especially even the soft skills along mm-hmm. the way, those are some of the building blocks just to get to the point where we can, you yeah. know, actually, you know, uh progress. Yeah. I've, I've had, even had church leaders tell me before, you know, when we've talked about, you know, helping in the schools and mentoring and reading mm-hmm. mentoring and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, that's not the church's job. Church's job is to preach and the church's job is to share the gospel. And we're, we, you know, that's, um, you know, that's, that's not, that's not necessarily our job. Maybe we'll do a club about the Bible. And then I, I usually let it get quiet and just say, how do you want the kids to read the Bible? Exactly. If they come to your club. Right. If we're not involved in, in, in the, just some foundational things of life with people, I think we we miss an opportunity of development. Yeah. And I think even in the book of James, he says that this is true religion to tend to the orphans and the widows. And he talks about that. This is a part of what it means to um, to live out our faith is to care for those who, who, who are uh, in need, which means getting your hands dirty. Like this is like tilling soil with your bare hands <laughs> and getting your hands right. dirty. Um, and, you know, the, the, the wind stories are so worth it, man. Like when you see God work in someone's life and completely change their trajectory, uh, it's worth it. It's always worth it. I love it. Well, I'm sure that there's a lot of people that are listening uh, even today that, um, that, that are in a church context that uh, maybe occasionally will do a ministry here or there mm-hmm. uh, to reach at-risk people. Yeah. Um, but all of our churches are around these neighborhoods. Yeah. What What's the best advice you can give them to 
to to really develop even not just not just churchgoers, not just a new believer in one of those spots, but actually develop leaders yeah. of people in impoverished communities around yeah. them. What what advice would you give some of those churches? Yeah, a couple things. Uh, first thing that came to my mind is oftentimes, especially when you talk about people who are um, living in severe poverty, um, more is caught than is taught oftentimes. Uh, them being around people who possess uh, some of those soft skills. Basically, it, oftentimes you have to be willing to do life with people. That um, survival mode that people live in is one of the greatest hurdles that they have for being able to be a leader. Because survival mode is I can only focus on what's right in front of me right now, which prevents long-term planning, which prevents anything doing anything that leads towards sustainability, which prevents you from even seeing the value of a lot of the soft skills that you're talking about. And what I've seen to be most effective in that is when they're able to have meaningful, ongoing uh, relationships with people who do live not just for today. But when you when you don't know where your meal's going to be at the end of the week, you're you, you go into survival mode. And I would even say there's a lot of research that talks about this. It even rewires your brain like it's it's it's, it's biological as well. And to try to help someone uh, like the like the the brother I was talking about earlier that I met at, at Benedict College, he just lived in survival mode. Only, his whole world was, I got to make sure I have something by the end of the week. I got to make sure I, I can I can I'm good by the end of the week. And so it's the 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 amount of difficulty of planning long term, uh, which obviously is necessary if someone's going to be reliable as a leader. Um, the the amount of stress that he felt in trying to do that was was kind of debilitating for him. But I believe being around people and seeing it and it becoming more normal for him was tremendous for him. Like we 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 sent him to the financial classes and all those things. But I believe when now he's he's entered into a, a church body where he's hanging out with this person and that person, the way that they're living is very different from how he grew up. Very different from anything he's seen before. Um, he I mean he he talked to me one time just uh. He was at my house. We're having a meal and the way I was dealing. So his dad wasn't in his life growing up and the way I was just dealing with my kids, he just broke down crying. Like He was just crying, seeing the way that I was like lovingly disciplining my kids. Like, no, you don't use your strength that way. You use your strength to help people and protect people, not to hurt people. That's not that's not what we do. Like things like that. He has just never experienced before. And I think if you grew up in a certain environment where certain things were normal, it's hard for you to understand what it's like for someone who didn't grow up where that type of thing is normal. Um, but And in the same way, if someone grew up in a, in a place where those things weren't normal, it's hard for them to understand what it's like to, for the, for those type of soft skills and practices to be normal for them. So bringing them in, inviting them into my home, uh, other brothers and fathers and husbands in our church, inviting him into their home, I believe also was extremely, extremely beneficial. But it, it takes some life on life type of ministry. This is not something you can do and keep your hands clean. This is not something you can do um, without building relationships that might leave you your feelings hurt and might leave you disappointed in the end. Like if you're not ready to open yourself up to that type of difficulty, I would say you're not ready to be very effective in this. That's good. And in order to do that life on life, that modeling, that that, you know, it's caught, not just taught, you know, we have to be consistent around the same people. Yeah. So if there's a neighborhood, if there's a spot in town, um, that we actually go there and we keep going back there because yes. they expect for you to come in once, oh, yeah. invite them to something. They expect for you to Absolutely. blitz, maybe even pray. 
what they don't <laughs> expect from you is to actually come back. Absolutely. And so if there's leaders out there that are listening to this podcast, if um, if you're uh, delving in this world of uh, urban ministry, if you're delving in this world of cross-cultural engagement with mm-hmm. people that are actually coming from a different spot in life than you are, um, Ant would be a great resource for you and uh, would love to connect with you. And you can, you can find him there um, through their website uh, yep. and, and their church name of, of Midtown Two Notch. So any final thoughts that you got? Um, Ant Force? Yeah, uh, MidtownTunage.com. I'd love for you to reach out. I am extremely passionate about helping people grow in cross-cultural ministry. I feel like it's a great need in the church. I feel like it's embedded in the Great Commission and making disciples of all nations. And so if you're interested in growing in that, hit me up. I'd love to talk with you. Yeah, phenomenal communicator as well. And so if you've got an opportunity where you want to you know, see uh, see some evangelism happen even even in your neck of the woods. He'd be a great one to come in. Leads our uh, Somersault Youth Camp this past year. Did an incredible job with that, and uh, just a a really solid leader within our state. Appreciate you being Thank with you, us brother. today. Yes, sir. So until every life is saturated and transformed by the hope of the gospel, accelerate the advance. Thanks for listening to the Advanced Leadership Podcast from the South Carolina Baptist Convention. This South Carolina Baptist Convention podcast is made possible through the cooperative program giving of South Carolina Baptist churches. For more information, visit scbaptist.org.